0: So good morning, one and all. Uh, We have an interesting task ahead of us today. Uh, My name is Jason. If we haven't met, maybe someday we will. Today, uh, because of my respect for the global church and my commitment to the lectionary and allowing the lectionary to lead us, I'm going to teach a passage of Scripture that I would not square up to if I felt like I had an option. But we're going to do this anyway. If you're new around here, you may not have heard me mention the ANC Preachers Guild, it's kind of a, a, a dream of mine. It's a team of eight of us that gather to discern where the wind is blowing for us. We do most of the preaching and we do all of the preaching planning around here. It's a, it's a hotshot little group of three men, five women, a PhD, a lawyer, an English professor, a Methodist theologian, an artist, performer, pastor, a New York Times best selling author, an international church planter, and they're way more interesting than that even sounds. All I can tell you is that we gathered this week on a Zoom call and we talked about perhaps bailing on the text assigned for us this Sunday. It's a difficult, difficult text in Scripture. Uh, there are so many other things we could have done. In fact, uh, Acts 2 and John 10, some of my favorite passages, are the alternate readings for today. We talked about bailing on this. But we don't back down for much at ANC. If you are new, um, that might surprise you. If you've been around a while, you, you know that's, our, that's the way we go. So we decided to lean in and continue to let the Spirit lead us even into parts of 1 Peter that are difficult. I'm just kind of that guy who commits and wants to follow and see what comes next. Um, So you know, uh, I'm falling back in love with 1 Peter. A couple weeks ago I mentioned that it's not my favorite book in Scripture. And I've been fighting with Dr. Godot on this, on the guild. She loves this one. But anyway, I'm falling back in love with the rhetoric of this little book, and I'm finding real beauty here among awkward and hard parts. One of these verses from 1 Peter 2, in fact, verse 18, is so hard and it's so awkward that the lectionary today suggests that we skip it all together. In fact, it literally has us drop into today's passage at verse 19, skipping 18 and solving that problem, which violates rule number one of biblical scholarship. Never take things out of their context never just lift something and take it and you cherry pick it and and take it where you want to go always read things to the ability that we have within their natural context and so the lectionary seems to say just just don't deal with it But that's not how we're going to do it i'd rather face it i'd rather face it with you Uh, you know this about me by now, that there's just nothing worth hiding from in this Bible. There just isn't. I don't think that solves anything. Not every verse is the same. We know this. Not every piece of advice is good. Some things don't travel across time and space and cultures. You know that. And as I uh, discussed this with Drew Beckley, he's the ANC board chair this week, he said something interesting. He said, there are some passages passages that are just hard to find meat in. He says, as a younger believer, I used to think that you had to find them all equally profound. We know better. The truth is, some of, this, uh, some of these texts are just difficult. And it would be unnatural, and I would say ill-advised, to expect an ancient text to work that way. Every word the same, every word equally applicable. Not every word. That's how I would say. So let's read the passage. And I'm going to include verse 18. Uh, and so let's see what gospel we might uh, be able to hear deep in our hearts today. So turn with me. In your text, um, generally I read and study from the new uh, Revised Standard Version. Somebody asked me this week what version you can read for, along with just about anyone, but I'm going to be reading from First Peter 2, verses 18 through 25, and it reads this way. Slaves, accept the authority of your masters with all deference, not only those who are kind and gentle, but also those who are harsh. Verse 19, for it is a credit to you if, being aware of God, you endure pain while suffering unjustly. If you endure when you are beaten for doing wrong, what credit is that? But if you endure when you do right and suffer for it, you have God's approval. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you should follow in his footsteps. Verse 22, he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. Verse 23, when he was abused, he did not return abuse. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that free from sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. And then this little verse to wrap it up. For you were going astray like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd, the guardian of your souls. Okay, breathe deeply. I wish my wife was here right now to lead us through a breathing technique. Breathe deeply with me. We're looking at a piece of scripture here that has done great and lasting damage, and we're not gonna say otherwise. Generations of self-loathing and destructive thoughts were born at the preaching of this very text. Many, many enslaved people were crushed and told to stay put, to embrace the cruelty and the suffering because God himself had sanctioned it right here in these verses. Before we rush on, I want you to imagine for a brief second, just imagine, how many young, black, and brown children of God grew up thinking that God paid no attention to their suffering, only their willingness to accept it because of verses like this. But here's what we know for certain. The gospel sets free, and not just the spirit. The gospel will also strive and fight and war to set our bodies free. And even armed with passages like this, racist theologians could not neuter the truth of the love of God for all. Plantation pulpits weaponized Peter's reasonings to protect the status quo. That's what happens when you add greed to sacred texts. But while It might have justified the breaking of beautiful brown and black bodies. It would never quench their indomitable spirits as children of God. I want to say that outright. Remember, this is a letter written for a purpose and imperishable, to use the language of 1 Peter, an imperishable, unfading inheritance is what the author is writing to remind his audience of. And that it's available now, it's not just for the afterlife. And we saw last week that that inheritance is love, it's acceptance. You know, I actually don't believe you can locate in these verses a justification for enslaving other human beings. It isn't actually in there. You can project on these verses if your worldview is already hate and self-protection. But it doesn't live here naturally. There is no scriptural, hear me clearly, there is no scriptural permission for evil. Not when appropriately filtered and understood through the light of Christ. We call that abuse of sacred writing. And we ought to grow up and be able to name that what that is. We don't need to hide from these verses. There is no God-sanctioned permission to mistreat, enslave, abuse, or injure other children of God. I don't care what God they worship. I don't care what the color of their skin is. What nation they call home. It doesn't matter what sexual orientation they have been given. You cannot use scripture to authorize the mistreatment of others. I wonder, could I be more clear on that point? While I think Peter's unwillingness to condemn outright the institution of slavery is gross and inexplicable, it's a reflection of the times. He and Paul leave slavery unaddressed institutionally, choosing instead to speak to the humanity beneath it. Oh, I wish they could have gone farther. I do, trust me. But good liberation theologians would get a chance to correct this as, as time would unfold. I do still think there is something for us to learn in this encouragement if we can hear it. And this is the discipline of leaning in instead of leaning out to awkward texts. Remember, these words were written to poor likely female, probably enslaved Gentile converts to Christianity. To receive a letter like this at all is an elevation of their status. It's an endorsement of their God-given dignity. It's a recognition of a people that would otherwise have been deemed insignificant. We can't forget that. What we have here, church, if we can see it and accept it, is part of a brand new basis of human ethics. One that, if we catch it, can and will eventually destroy every oppressive human structure remaining. I think it hinges on this concept in First Peter two twenty-three. Right in the middle of this passage, the author writes, when he was abused, he did not return abuse. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. You've heard this elsewhere. It sounds like love your enemy. It sounds like turn the other cheek. It sounds like do good to those who persecute you for my name's sake. These are Peter's words we're reading, but this is the bedrock of Jesus' human ethic. What we have here is a trap door. We have a way out of all the cycles of abuse and violence and shame and guilt and pain. This is how we make it stop. This is how we opt out. We stop perpetuating the cycle itself we unplug it, and in so doing, we reclaim our human agency because no unjust master and no ungodly husband, if you need to know what that's about, read a little further. It gets, it gets dark in the beginning of chapter three two. but no unjust master and no ungodly husband can crush the human spirit. Jesus is our example if we're crazy enough to follow him all the way down to new life. Peter writes to people who were indeed being mistreated and he says, don't repay like for like. Don't emulate what you're seeing. Don't become the evil that is happening to you. You say, preacher, you don't, you, now, now you've really lost your mind. Talk about bad advice. This sounds like bad advice. But hear me, Christ suffered without repaying. They ripped his flesh from his bones and still he sought no revenge. He did not retaliate. Even when falsely accused, And punished, mercilessly, for crimes he had not committed. Innocent of the charges, he stops evil in its tracks. Peter says, don't become what you hate. Don't recreate more suffering. Set yourself free. You have that option. Jesus showed us how. The gospel message for us today, church, is that there is no freedom In retribution, there is no liberation in further violence and further punishment. There is no way forward repaying evil for evil. Gandhi understood this, and so did the great saints and prophets of the nonviolent movement that still fight for racial equality in America. This is their ethic. Repaying violence with more violence only perpetuates the cycle. Jesus didn't offer us a revolution. He offered us true liberation. Oh, church. Don't you see Total liberation is the goal of the gospel. Emancipation of the human being, spirit, soul, and body, this is the goal, and it cannot be achieved by doubling down on violence. Peter urges them set yourselves free from this destructive cycle. Love in return. Don't repay evil with more evil. Love anyway. Liberate yourselves. Oh, I wish he would have gone on to demand the end of the institution of slavery altogether. Oh, I wish he would have. But instead, he gives them the secret to ultimate freedom. He shows them how to recover their human dignity no matter what situation they faced. All they had to do was emulate Jesus' example. That's all. How hard could that be? Oh, this truth has been laying waste to my soul. It's been burying my soul this week. We can be free. I can be free but it's gonna require that I trust the downward way. You guys, even though Easter is only a few weeks behind us, already I find myself rejecting the downward way, the journey of loss, the way of death as the only way to new life. We're in the middle of the great days of Easter tide. This is the gospel that courses through our veins. This is what makes us an Easter people. We know that liberation comes from release. We know that letting go is heaven's finest metaphor. We know this. We have tasted new life, and we want more. We were made for more. We can never settle for less now. You know my story. I've deconstructed nearly all of my faith at this point. I see wisdom in other masters. I find God in other texts as well. I believe in the original goodness of all humanity. I've stretched faith so far that it accommodates for a healthy thriving of doubt alongside. I've even tried to undo Christianity altogether and find a different way. But Jesus, I can't get past this tender teacher who shows us how to stop the cycle, how to halt the pain, how to stop the shame? I'll never stop seeking as long as I have the ability to do so, but I'll never outgrow the simple appeal, the beautiful logic of my Jesus. Peter says, Let it go. Recover your humanity. Do what Jesus did. Repay evil with good. Love instead. Let yourself go. Be liberated. Be totally free. The final verse of this section goes back to that ancient metaphor of sheep and shepherds. In fact, John 10, one of the other passages given to us today to support this lectionary, is about just that. It's about the good shepherd who enters by the gate and knows his sheep by name, and his sheep recognize his voice. The way home is printed deep inside of us, all of us, not just Christians. But maybe he knew that we would need a little help to get there. Maybe he knew that we would need a shepherd to lead us. The deepest reality about the cosmos that we inhabit is that new life always rises when life falls and dies. It's imprinted in our DNA, in our RNA, and still we have need of a gentle reminder. We have to be led to accept it. We need a shepherd. A gentle one who knows our wonders, who knows our worries, who speaks to us tenderly using our nickname. It's funny how reluctant we are to claim what's rightfully ours, isn't it? We have to be pushed to claim freedom, our divine birthright. We have to be pushed forward to do that. If there are any other options available, I find myself always wanting to take them first. Why? Why are we this way? Our determination to find any way but death is so strong. And if you are here in that place, please don't be ashamed of fighting with God. If you are feeling resistant and suffering has to wear you down some before you can understand the trap and set yourself free, you're still right on track. It's okay. Don't you see that's why we have a shepherd who knows our nickname, whose voice we know. You are loved and you were built to be free completely. I wonder if you caught those final words that describe God in verse 25. Describes him simply this way. He is the guardian of our souls. I've wept all week over that idea. That he is the guardian of my soul. Knowing that God is willing and available to guard my soul, the weak and the tender parts, the confused parts, the wounded and rejected parts, the fearful and ashamed parts, the immature, the underdeveloped parts. What more could there be? What more could we ever need? I cannot, I must not back down from the truth of the gospel, dear friends, partly because you need to hear it, but also mostly because I need to hear it this week. Revenge and retaliation, repaying anger with more anger, unkindness with more unkindness, inflicting injury because we've been injured, inflicting pain because we've been wounded, hurting because we have been hurt. Church, you know what I'm talking about. When we enforce our will, when we wound one another to reclaim our control, when we cling to power because it's been taken from us, we're actually sabotaging our own liberation. There is no other way to be free but to release, to relinquish, to let go to fall, to love in return, to love anyway, to be kind, no matter what. If you can't yet, if you're not there, it's okay. Be where you are for now. Even resistance is part of our way home. And I would love to just end here and say it's been a good time with First Peter 2. It feels like a good place to stop, but I'm committed, I'm committed to preaching from the kitchen table and from the heart. I've struggled deeply, with this message all week. You see, I'm waking up to a very old truth. I have been enslaved to my own cycles of rejection and abandon. And while I really wanted to blame other people for not knowing how to take better care of me, of my needs, of my wants, of my wounds, of my pain, what I'm realizing is that I have a trap door. I have a way out. I can love anyway. And I can be free. Verse 21 reads this way of our text today, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you should follow in his steps. You know, as I think about my life, I'm not sure I've ever actually been attacked. I don't know that I've ever been under siege, but daily I feel that way and I have created that reality. I've perpetuated that cycle and now I am tired of defending myself from the very process of my own liberation, I want to release. I want to let go. Thanks be to God for these 50 days because I'm still on this Easter journey. Thank God it's not just a one one hit and go. I want you to hear the gospel as plainly as I can state it right now in my life. There is no future in repaying evil with evil. It won't set us free. Not free enough And not free enough will never be good enough for God. And that is the truth. The heart of God wants your full liberation, wants my full liberation, wants us to be free. This is the way of Jesus. This is his example. It's still, after all these years, the truest way. Let us pray. You've been so good, God. You've been so good. As we continue to isolate and wait and reflect and do the hard work, your goodness never stops. You're the guardian of our souls. And we come alive in you, in that protection, whether we've ever seen it or not in any other relationship on earth. We come alive under your wing in that space we give you thanks for your goodness in your name we pray amen well we always end our time in the word with uh, a reflection around the table which is the elements the eucharistic elements of bread and wine and while that has taken on a whole new shape during quarantine and i look forward to doing that again we may not get back to doing that the way we've done that in the past for a really long time. But I think the message of the Eucharist is nothing other than if our heart is tuned to the presence of Christ in our life and in our world, then all bread is holy. All wine is sacred. And so I would ask you and I would invite you to take seriously those times you gather today. I know it's been 300 meals together in a row and I know you're ready for some, something else. But as you gather and know that your body Is being sustained by eating these things and drinking these things. I want you to know that that's how near the presence of Christ is to where you are. So it's that available. It's that accessible. It's right there. And so consecrate your bread in your home. Be the one who looks at this and says, I will lift this to heaven and I will give thanks because on the night when Jesus was betrayed by his friends, he gave thanks and he said, This is my body and I will be here in this exchange. And so. I would encourage you to do that today in some profound and meaningful way. If you are alone and you're quarantined alone, pick up your phone, FaceTime meal with someone, do something, reach out. So as we wrap our time, um, we have these words as a benediction, which really is the capsule of theology for today. Um, Mark just so gets the text and my heart. And so here's, here are these words. So if you want to join us for our little Q&A session, um, Right after this, we'll gather around the table. Today, our guest is Sam Beach. She's ANC's very own. Uh, And we're going to discuss some newsy events going on around here, some things you're going to want to be aware of, and whatever else you want to ask us as you text into that number, uh, which is 512-200-8729. So stick around for that. But as we go and seal this time uh, in the Word and in the presence of God, these words. To the church twice shy... This is not that door that won't shut. You are not being asked to let anyone do anything. You're being asked not to let anyone convince you that you or they aren't worthy of love, whatever they're doing and whatever you do about it. You are worth protecting. You just might need it less than you think. Go in peace. Blessings.